The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open with me to the book of 1 Peter. Uh, 1 Peter, we'll continue to walk through our series together, uh, Born Again to a Living Hope. And uh, this is Palm Sunday. Uh, we will continue to track right along in 1 Peter and, uh, and listen intently, I hope, uh, for the Lord to speak to us. You know, I, I just want to ask you a question as you're turning there this morning. How do you know that you've walked into an authentic Christian church this morning? I mean, if, you know, if you've been here for some time, hopefully you've kind of been able to gauge things. But if you're a guest with us today, I just, you know, maybe something you're asking is, is uh, you know, you walk into a new church and, and you kind of, things may be different. This doesn't look like this. You know, how do you know? Even if you have been here for a while, how do you know that you've walked into an authentic Christian church this morning? I mean, how do you know you haven't walked into some secret cult disguised as a church? Um, it seems like a strange question for a preacher to get up and ask, a strange way to, to intro the sermon, but I, I think it's a question that we, we need to ask. You know, uh, are you trusting in, you know, well, there's a sign out on the road, you know, are you trusting in the denominational affiliation? Um, are, are you trusting in the fact that, well, there's this steeple on the roof, you know, and that kind of points to the fact of what we are. Uh, are, are, you, are you counting on the fact that, hey, well, it's Sunday morning and it's, you know, between 1030 and 11, so I, I think I'm pretty safe, especially where we are. Are you counting on the fact that, you know, you're in the Bible Belt, that this is a authentic Christian church this morning. You know, thankfully, the Bible doesn't leave us to speculate in an abstract way on what an authentic Christian church should be should it, or should look like. You know, thankfully, God has given us in his word uh, what a church will indeed look like. And we come to a passage this morning where where. Peter moves from, he's been talking about uh, this individual Christian experience, particularly as, as exiles in a culture that is growing more and more hostile toward those who follow Christ. But now he turns from the individual experience to the corporate experience. He turns to the community, to, in other words, to the, the church. And he's going to give us today some things in this passage that should mark the church. <clears throat> He's going to use in these opening, or all the way actually through our passage today, uh, some past tense participles that speak to the reality of every single believer bar none, that these are, these are true of every single Christian across the board. He's going to, you're going to hear this in verse 22 where he says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. This is, in essence, a word, and this is a way that he is saying, having believed the gospel. In verse 23, since you have been born again, this is true of every single believer, no one comes to the Father except by being born again. Jesus talked about this, repeatedly being born again. Verse 25, the good news was preached to you. It's impossible for us to believe the gospel without first hearing the gospel. And he points back to the fact that they had indeed heard the gospel. And every single believer at some point before they could believe had to have heard. And then in verse 3 of chapter 2, uh, he says, You have tasted that the Lord is good. 
And every single believer has come to that place where you have, you have seen that the Lord is indeed good. And so these are things that Peter is going to point out to us that are true of every Christian without exception. And as a result, Peter is going to call us to, or he's going to point out three essential components of, of a genuine Christian community. So that when we walk into a place on Sunday morning, we don't trust the steeple or the sign or the geographical location. Instead, we can look to these things and say, in any genuine, authentic Christian community that calls itself a church, these things ought to be. Peter is going to give us two that are explicit, and he's actually going to give them to us in the form of a command, and he's going to give us one, if we have time, that he implies. So without anything further, let's look at our passage. I'll begin reading in verse 22 of 1 Peter chapter 1, and I will go all the way through chapter 2, verse 3. Peter says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. The word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let's pray together and ask the Lord to speak to us through this passage. God, today, we need to hear from you. Lord, if we are going to be what you call us to be, not only do you need to tell us, but Lord, you need to empower us to obey you. So God, I pray that you would speak through me, Lord, that you would take the words that I have prepared, and God, that you would call the ones that are only of me, and God, that you would bring forward those that are from you and of you. God, I pray that you glorify yourself by making us more and more authentic in what it means to be a genuine community of Christ. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to give you, Peter gives us these two explicit commands and one implicit. So the first explicit command he gives to us that should be present in every community of Christ is to love the family of God, to love the family of God. Uh, that's what he says there in verse 22, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Up until now, Peter's focus has been on the individual, but now he turns to the community. And there's some reasons why he turns to the community and he turns away from the individual. He's not saying, now leave off from, from being self-centered. He's, he's doing this intentionally. He's calling our attention to the church. Well, for, for one reason, he's saying to us, if we look at the context, that we live in hope, we live in holiness, we live in fear best in community. In fact, one uh, commentator I was reading this week said that the Christian life cannot be lived authentically in isolation. And I think that's true. That uh, someone may argue that they don't, they don't need other Christians. You, every now and then I'll hear someone 
argue with me or, or make a case for why they, they don't uh, participate in church life, they, they don't go to church, they don't join a church, and they'll say things like, you know what, you know, if I go down there, those people down there are simply going to slow me down. Man, I, I, am, I am absolutely killing it for the Lord, and I am pursuing him, and my, my relationship with him is great, and if I go down there, those people will just kind of latch onto me, and, and it will slow me down, and it will just impede my progress in Christ-likeness. Sometimes people will argue from the opposite side of that and say, you know what, I have so many hurts and hang-ups and all these things that if I go down there, all those people, they, they all have it all together, and, and I'll, I'll just slow them down. I'll just drag them down. I, they don't need me down there. They, I'll, just, I'll just damage things. Sometimes people will say things like, you know, I, I don't need to be burdened with other people's burdens. I'm, I'm good by myself. And all of these things are, may, may sound in some ways legit, but they are not legit as far as what the Bible calls biblical Christianity. The Bible tells us that to be a Christian, that Christianity is not a solo sport. You know, I've been watching the Masters this week. Anybody keeping up with the Masters? Uh, I saw Benny come in with his, with his master's sweater on and, and all that kind of stuff, a little envious of that sweater vest, uh, you know, have a thing for sweater vests anyway, but I've uh, uh, been watching the Masters, and the Masters, golf is, is one of the only, uh, not one of the only, but it's, it's one of those that's out there right in front of us right now, solo sports. You know, when, when Jordan Spieth is making a, a charge yesterday up the leaderboard, trying to take the lead, didn't quite get there, but I think he's in the next to last group today. You know, he's, he's not relying on anybody else. He's not looking over Ricky Fowler and saying, Ricky, okay, if you make this shot, then, then that's going to catapult me. It's totally dependent on him at that moment. He's playing by himself. He's playing against the course. He's playing against other golfers, but it's, it's him. His caddy is helping him, but it's, it's really him. He has to put the ball down. He has to swing the club. He has to make the decision. Christianity is not golf. Christianity is not a triathlon. Christianity is not not you getting out there and just getting on your bike or getting in the water or putting on your running shoes and just going hard and running long. Christianity was never meant to be this solo sport. It's not for lone rangers. You know, every single person who owns a house, you probably have at some place around your house a single solitary brick that didn't make it into uh, your, your structure. You know, it's, it's just there. Maybe it's a cinder block, maybe it's a brick, but it's just there. It didn't make it into the rest of your house, and it has just become this, this thing that sits out maybe at the corner, maybe by your outbuilding. The, the weeds and the grass grow up around it, and you keep weed-eating around it, and you think, well, one day I probably should get rid of that thing. One day I probably should move that thing, but you just keep going around it. Well, a lot of people are treating their Christian, their Christian life like they are a brick. And they say, you know, I don't have to be a part of a church to, to, to be a Christian. I don't need all those other people. Well, when you do that, you are, you are that brick. Because a brick can be a brick all by itself. But until it is put together with a bunch of other bricks in the building of a structure, it has not fulfilled its purpose. 
And the Bible doesn't call us to build to, to be solitary bricks just laying out by the outbuilding with weeds growing around ourselves. The Bible calls us to be joined together with others to be built up into the house of God. Peter reveals that one purpose for our salvation is that we would love the family of God, that we would love one another. It's what he says there in verse 22. He says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for, that's an important word, for a sincere brotherly love, meaning that one of the reasons that, that God has brought us into the family of God or, or brought us, brought the gospel to us is so that we would love his family. This means that choosing not to love the family of God is not an option. This means that church membership, membership and what I mean by that is true church membership. I don't mean having your name on a roll somewhere. I don't mean being a part of something in name only. And, and I don't mean this to be, I don't mean this to come across in an ugly derogatory way because next Sunday is Easter, but it doesn't mean church membership is not showing up on Easter and on Christmas. Church membership, true church membership is us linking our lives together, doing life together so that we spur one another on to love and good works. And we spur one another on to Christ-likeness. True church membership is not optional. Chapter 1 of 1 Peter, verse 3, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. In verse 4, to an inheritance. In verse 5, we are being guarded. And all of it, Peter says in verse 22, is for a sincere brotherly love. That we are not just simply the beneficiaries of these things for no apparent reason. That God saves us so that we will love the family of God. That we don't get the option to only take the personal benefits and and leave off the responsibilities. There are lots of people who take the name of Christ who don't want any of the responsibility toward the brothers and sisters of Christ. And that's not optional. Besides, brotherly love turns out to be a personal benefit. It's not only a responsibility, it is a personal benefit. How many of us have not had seasons of our lives where we have endured sickness or or death or some tragedy or some suffering or some loss in our life only to have, if we are true members of the family of God, only to have the family of God rally around us and show us the love and it becomes in that moment this personal benefit to us. You know, when someone says to you, when you're in the middle of something, when a brother or sister who is part of the family of God says to you, I'm praying for you. What I can ever do in our lives is to say to a brother or sister, I am praying for you. Your your mother-in-law is at death's door. I'm praying for you and your family. You're, you're walking through cancer and your husband is going through treatments. I'm praying for you. It's not a light thing. 
It's one of the most loving things that we can do. And guess what? We don't do that naturally apart from the moving of God's grace on our life through the gospel. We have been adopted into his family. We have been born again to a living hope. We have an inheritance. We are being guarded for a sincere brotherly love. Such love is natural for those who have been loved by God. Verse 22 here that we're looking at, he says to us, love one another earnestly, what? From a pure heart. The only way that you and I can love earnestly is if God transforms our hearts through the gospel. Because we're really selfish, self-centered, narcissistic people at heart without the gospel, aren't we? Don't we first, and, and, and we think of ourselves, don't we? We meet our own needs first. We, no one has to tell us on an airplane, when the mask falls from the ceiling, put your mask on first. You know what? We would naturally do that. We would have no thought of, I better do this first so that I will be able to help my neighbor. We just think of ourselves as, but, but when God loves us through the gospel, we become loving people. And this is what is meant in verse 8 of chapter 1 when it says, though you have not seen him, you love him. This is what Jesus meant in John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John wrote in 1 John, if anyone says that he's right with God but yet hates his brother, he's a liar. Because the people of God who have been loved by God through the gospel love one another. I love the way C.J. Mahaney said it in the sermon I listened to. He preached. He said, because we live by the grace of God, we love for the glory of God. Because we live by the grace of God, we've been made alive. We've been given these hearts that now have these affections that we once did not have. Because we live by the grace of God, we now love for the glory of God. Well, how do we love? Well, it's laid out for us here in the passage. And this is where it's good for us not to simply go by the chapter and verse numbers. You realize when Scripture was originally written, those little numbers, the chapters and verse numbers were not part of what was written. This was written as a letter. Peter didn't stop to say, this is a good place for a chapter stop. And he you know, put in number two, you know. He wasn't outlining this thing. He was writing this letter at the Holy Spirit's direction to these churches. So it's good for us sometimes not to pay attention to chapter and verse divisions. But we're told how we love in verse one of chapter two. When he says, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. The word there that he uses, this little phrase, put away, is often used of taking off clothing. And it's used to to speak of taking off clothing when we have gotten our clothes dirty. I hate to weed eat. I sweat more than anybody else on the planet, probably. Uh, Now, some of you will give, you'll say, no, I I sweat more than anybody. Well, we'll have a competition one day (laughs) just to settle it, right? I hate to weed eat. One reason I hate to weed eat is because 
you kind of need to wear protection on your shins, which means wearing jeans or some type of pants when you weed eat. And when you sweat like I do, when you're a big guy and you sweat like I do, you ever, what, what's that Duluth trading company when it talks about that your hose, your, they come like this fire hose or whatever? That's what I feel like. I feel like my pants are just, I mean, they're about 50 pounds. You know, they're just wringing wet. But if I don't wear pants out there when I, when I weed eat, then all of the gravel and all the stuff that the weed eater hits is going to fly back into my shins. And I'm going to walk around with all these little nicks and cuts and scratches. Look, fire ants are everywhere. I'll have fire ants all over me, so I got to wear them. I hate it. When I weed eat, I can't get in the house and get that stuff off me fast enough, right? This is the picture here. Put off. Put away. Take off this clothing because it is soiled. Another reason why you would take off the clothing is because it's become out of style, you ever look back at some of the pictures, you, some of the choices you made? <laughs> what was I thinking, right? I mean, you know, sometimes you just, somebody needs to come along as a, as a brother or a sister to you and say, well, we need to talk, <laughs> you know. You need to retire that, right? Take it off because it's un, unbecoming of the believer. Look at what he tells us to put away. This is how we love one another. We put away malice. Malice is this general term for sin, but it can really mean a desire to do somebody harm. You want to love somebody? You want to love your brother or sister? Then fight this urge to do them harm. He said, I don't know. We don't do that. We don't do that in church, do we? We, 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 don't, we don't desire to do one another harm. We may, not, we may not think of picking up a, a baseball bat and going out from here in the parking lot and using a baseball bat on a brother or sister. But there are plenty of us that know what it feels like to be wounded by the words and the attitudes and the actions of a brother or sister in the church. He says, put it away. Deceit, put away deceit. It's a term literally referring to, to bait or to a fish hook. It's intentional dishonesty, falsehood, and treachery. Put it away. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy was a word that described an actor who wore a mask. He was pretending to be something that he wasn't. And he says, there's no place for that hypocrisy in the family of God. Put it away. It's one of the reasons why we have life groups and Sunday school classes and we push you into small groups. It's because we want you to take off the mask and get real with somebody in the family of God so that you're not pretending. God says it has no place in the family of God. Put away envy. Envy means to resent someone's good fortune and often leads to grudges or bitterness or hatred and conflict. Do you look at someone else in the church and go, how'd she get that car? You know, do you, do, you, do you look at someone else and say, it's just like them. I mean, they, they don't ever work for anything. It just seems to just fall right in their lap. Do you, do you look at brothers and sisters and say those things? Or do you look and say, you know what? Every good gift comes from the Father. 
If God chooses to bless an individual and, and chooses, just leave me where I am and, and not elevate me, then so be it. Let me be happy for that brother or sister. He says, put away this envy. Put away this backbiting. Put away this, this wanting to step on one another to elevate yourself. Put away slander, this gossip and backbiting, this defamation of character. This is how we love one another. All of these are sins that destroy love and tear down community. The verb tense here when he says that we should put away these things, the verb tense is, is one that implies that this isn't a, one, a one-time action. When he says to us, put away these things, guess what he's meaning? You're going to have to repeatedly put away these things. That every day is going to be a battle where you get up every day and you fight these, these you know, malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. These things are going to try to rear their ugly head in your life toward a brother or sister in Christ. And you're going to have to every day fight this war to put them away. Wouldn't it be nice if it was just a one-time thing? We could just take it off and be done with it? Well, that'd be nice. But it keeps coming back, and so Peter says, put these things away. You want to love the family of God, then put them away. Secondly, the second explicit command that Peter gives to us that should, should be evident in the church of God is that we would long for the word of God. That we would long for the word of God. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, he says. In verse 2 of chapter 2. And his point here, and I need you to hang with me while I kind of unpack what I mean here. His point, I think what he's saying is that the word that begets us, it's a good biblical word, right? Beget. The word that begets us is the same word that grows us. The same word that, that causes us to be born again is the same word that grows us. Now, let me just unpack this and show you what I mean. Um, Verse 23 of chapter 1 and verse 2 of chapter 2 are connected by this common theme of newborn spiritual infancy. Verse 23 of, uh, of chapter 1, since you have been born again. The issue here is on what made us. Verses 24 and 25, he goes into what made us, namely the seed Peter identifies that seed as, in verse 23, the imperishable seed of God's living and abiding word. In verse 25, he identifies that seed as the good news that was preached to you. And so this is the gospel in the word of God. So the word of God that that brings us, that contains the, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, this is what leads to our being born again. Leads to our spiritual infancy in the first place. In chapter 2, verse 2, he says, like newborn infants. So here's this connected theme. The issue here is not on what made us, but the issue here is on what sustains us. Namely, pure spiritual milk. And we know from other places in scripture that milk is identified as the word of God. Now in 1 Corinthians 3 and Hebrews 5, immature believers are rebuked saying that you should be further along than you are by now, but you still need milk. We have no reason to think that this is a derogatory rebuke on Peter's case. He's not chastising them. He's not saying that that they are immature and that they should be further along by now. He's just pointing to the fact of the same thing that 
begets us is what grows us. Milk is essential for infants. It's the very substance of their life. It's everything that they need to grow is contained within this milk, and they don't grow without it. Likewise, the gospel contained in God's word is essential for growth of believers. It is the very substance of our life. Everything we need to grow is contained within the word of God. We won't grow without it. So what Peter is saying, I think, by connecting this, this, these themes of newborn spiritual infancy, what Peter is saying is that the same word that begets us is the same word that grows us, meaning we never move on from the imperishable word of God. We never graduate from it. We never move on from the imperishable seed of the gospel or, or we, never, we never move away from having to come back to the word of God. He describes it here in this passage as living, meaning it gives us life. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. He describes it not only as living, but he describes it as abiding, meaning it sustains us. We are to keep coming back to it the way a baby keeps crying to be nursed. When a, when a baby's hungry, can you negotiate with a baby? You ever try that? Now, 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 if you'll just be quiet until we get home, I'll give you two bottles. How's that going to work out, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, you don't negotiate with a baby at that point, right? All the baby knows is, I'm hungry. Somebody feed me. And it's, and it's just, it, it is, this desire to eat is innate. It is unrelenting and it is all consuming. <laughs> you ever had to drive down the road and you had to get to a certain place, the baby in the car seat and you couldn't stop and you, you, you know, you, you just had to go. Baby screaming wasn't going to stop unless it went to sleep crying itself to sleep or it got fed, right? There's no negotiating. And this is, I think, Peter's point for us. As believers, as authentic believers, it should show up in the authentic community of faith, this desire, this hunger, this longing for the word of God, the way a baby longs for milk. So let me ask you the question, is that the way you long for the word of God? Now I'm thankful, hear me on this. As your pastor, been here a number of years now, I'm thankful to pastor a church that longs for the word of God. I'm thankful to pastor you. I'm thankful that you, you don't say to me, pastor is a good sermon, but it was a little long. Sometimes you wanted to say that, right? But you don't say it. You've come to the place where you love the word of God. But personally, in your life personally, do you long for the word of God this way? If not, then why not? And I don't mean to cause unnecessary doubt where there needs to be no doubt 
But if there's never a longing, a craving, a hungering, a crying out for the word of God in your life, it's pointing to the fact that there's something wrong. There will be seasons in your life as a Christian when you will hunger less for the word of God. But they should be just that. They should be seasons. It should not be the pattern of your life. You know, if, if, if there was a baby who didn't cry for milk when it was hungry, wouldn't we be concerned about that baby? And should we not also be concerned for a person who claims to be a newborn, a born-again believer, follower of Jesus Christ, who never cries for the Word of God? That's why Peter says in this passage, in verse 3 of chapter 2, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. That little if there is important. If you've tasted that the Lord is good. Because see, the reality is when you and I get a taste of the Lord, there's no going back without him from that point. If he ever becomes Lord of your life, if the gospel ever becomes the sweetest news you've ever heard in your life, John Piper describes it as that when we are converted and we come to know the Lord as our Savior, that there are taste buds that are birthed on our heart. These spiritual taste buds are there. And he said it's the same way if you look through Scripture. You know, spiritual eyes also. The the blind can now see. Spiritual ears, we begin to hear When you taste and see that the Lord is good, there is no going back from there and saying, nah, never mind. Let me quickly give you the third. This essential component, components that make up the the authentic church or community of of faith is this, um, this love for the family of God, This longing for the word of God. And then this one is implied. Tell the good news. Tell the good news of God. I I, I searched. I wanted it to be another L. That would have been great. If you can come up with a word for tell that starts with L, um, let me know. In fact, don't let me know because then it will like crush me. But... um, Tell the good news of God. This is implied in verse 25 when he says, this word is the good news that was preached to you. There's no direct command here, but it certainly is implied. The only reason that any of us are part of the genuine community of faith is because someone, somebody opened their mouth to us. If you are a genuine believer, it's because somebody told you the gospel. I go back to to my days and I think, oh God, how gracious you were. I've never known a time where I was out of the family of God. I came to know him as my Lord and Savior at eight years old, but I can go back before that and I can go back to the very nursery where I was this infant crying for milk and Miss Tarwater, she held me and changed me and bounced me and burped me and all these things and all the while told me about the love of Jesus for me. 
I can, I can go back to people like Dwight Stokes who took me as an RA and a high school Baptist young man and poured the word of God into me. I can go back to Wade Abercrombie, my youth minister, who told me the gospel. I can go back to my grandfather, Frank Ashley. And I heard him. I saw him live it, and I heard him tell me the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can go back to that couch where my mom led me to faith in Christ. I can go back to Joe Wren's office, the pastor that baptized me. I can go back to Rich Liner, my pastor after him, who preached sermon after sermon after sermon, told me the gospel. I can go to Randy Davis. I can go to so many other people that have been so gracious in my life to tell me the gospel. If you are a believer here today, it is because somebody opened their mouth and told you. This is what the Bible teaches. This is what's implied here. This is the good news that was preached to you. Verse 23, you have been born again through the living and abiding word of God. No one will ever be saved unless someone tells them the gospel. Do you understand that? You've got to hear the gospel from another person. Now, I understand God can work through gospel tracts and videos and all sorts of things, but, but that took somebody putting it down and putting it out there and articulating it with, with language. Romans 10, 14 tells us, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Romans 10, 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We must see the gospel as good news. We've gotten away from calling it the good news, maybe because that became commercialized and the little tracks and it became cutesy and cartoony and it's the good news. It was news. We need to see the gospel as news. You know, it, it's not our faith. Let me, let me share with you my faith. We have even used this language here, right? I have used this language with you personally. Share your story. Guess what? There's a place for that that's well and good. It's news. And it's, it's news, and we need to share it that way. And when, when something extraordinary or unusual happens, what do you do? You tell somebody, don't you? I mean, that's what you do. You, you tell somebody. We post pictures of our food on Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat, right? Make little comments about it. You know, I mean, would, it, it, we, we, would something happens, we, we, we post it, we talk about it. I was on Facebook the other day and I saw somebody post something about what happens when you try to cook mac and cheese without water. And they'd put a picture up there of this burnt container with these burnt, like, dried noodles and, you know, hashtag how much smoke can one, you know, and all this stuff, you know. 
This is news, right? All these people commenting on it. You know, over and over. We talk about the most ordinary happenings as if history's been made. We haphazardly use words like awesome and love and phenomenal. But then we struggle to talk to people about the miracle of the gospel. Well, I just, I don't know how I'd bring it up. I don't want to make it awkward. I don't want to, I don't want to burn the bridge of the friendship. Really? It's, it's okay to post a video of a cat that falls asleep and falls off the couch? Look, in my book, you're kind of treading on thin ice with a relationship with me at that point, right? But we can't, we can't talk about the news of God himself looking at us in a helpless state and taking on flesh and coming and living in our place and dying in our place taking our punishment so that we would be made right. We can't talk about that. How will they believe unless someone tells them? I just want to remind you that Peter's readers had no problem telling others the good news, and they were living in this exile state. It was only going to get worse for them. There would come a day when, when this is written, when this letter is written, not too many years forward from this, there would come a day when the emperor, when the Roman emperor, when Nero would, would accidentally or whatever catch the city on fire and blame the Christians. And they would be persecuted in such a way that many of them would be, would be dipped in tar and oil and, and, and set on fire to light his parties. And they had no problem speaking of the gospel, telling the good news. Peter at Pentecost stood up. This Jesus who you crucified, Stephen, bearing witness of this this resurrected Jesus while they hurled stones down his head and cost him his life. Every one of the apostles was martyred. Their lives were taken for telling the good news. Except for John, they attempted to kill him and he didn't die, so they exiled him to an island. They didn't have any problem talking about the good news. What is our excuse? I'm going to ask you this question and then just wrap things up real quick. Who in your life will not believe unless you tell them? Who in your life will die and go to hell if you don't tell them? A genuine, authentic community of faith, a genuine church is marked by love for the family of God, longing for the word of God, and telling of the good news of God. If someone were to walk into this faith family, this church, 
Is there enough evidence that would convince them that we are an authentic community of faith? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. And God, I'm so thankful that um, that you have loved us. That even though we have never seen you, God, you've birthed the love in our hearts for you. And God, I thank you that out of that comes a love for one another. That I believe that this is a genuinely loving church. And Lord, out of that comes this longing for your word. And God, out of that, out of following you, comes this desire, privilege, responsibility to speak up and tell the good news. Lord, make us, make us all these things. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you an opportunity to reflect on what's been said, respond to the passage. The Spirit of God may have moved in your heart in the midst of this, prompting you to some activity of obedience. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not for activity for the sake of activity. Um, that's why I don't, and many of you may have wondered, I, that's why I don't stand up here and look out at you uh, during a, a response time. It's because I... Nothing wrong with that. I mean, that, that, but I don't want to be the one standing up here and you looking at my face and the emotion of the moment talk you into something. We, we want this to be authentic. If the Spirit of God prompts you and calls you, then be obedient. If it's a giving of your life to Him, turning from your sin and trusting in Him, then by all means, I'll be here. I'd love to help you, I'd love to speak with you. There's some conviction on your life throughout this sermon, and, and uh, you just need to confess that to the Lord. You can do so even where you're sitting and pray and confess that to the Lord. Sometimes, though, the Bible calls us to confess that to one another. If I can help you with that, I'd love for you to, to, to do that. Love to help you. If, if there's someone that you need to pray with, we have a prayer room that's out the doors to my right. Um, Feel free to go out and pray with them. Make use of these steps. Come up and pray. But whatever you do, don't harden your heart. Don't grit your teeth and hold on to the chair thinking that, hey, this will just one day pass. Say yes to the Lord. You respond as he leads. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.